Welcome to the Padang Sessions. In this conversation with gallery curator Shamin To, multidisciplinary artist Amanda Hing recounts her experiences with the artist village and women in the arts, providing a personal viewpoint on the history of socially engaged art in Singapore. Thanks for joining us um, for this conversation um, today between um, artist Amanda Hing and our curator Charmaine To. Uh, before I hand over, I just want to give a brief introduction about um, our speakers today. Okay, firstly, our moderator, Charmaine To. Charmaine to is curator here at National Gallery Singapore. Um, she's also part of the curatorial team for the Awakenings exhibition. Charmaine was also one of the co-curators of the 2013 Singapore Biennale and is currently, she's doing a PhD candidate at uh, University of Melbourne and she researches on pictorial photography in Singapore from the 1950s to 70s. Next, we'll introduce Amanda. Amanda is one of Singapore's most prolific female contemporary artists. She's well-known locally and internationally for her collaborative and multidisciplinary art practice. Through her work, Amanda has continually confronted the politics of the body, gender, identity, and society. She has also played key roles in the Singapore arts scene through the years through organizing, co-curating, and participating in exhibitions and events, as well as establishing and facilitating collective practices amongst artists. Please join me in welcoming them. Thank you. Hey, good, good morning, everyone. So just um, welcome on this Saturday morning and thank you for coming along. Um, thank you to Amanda as well for agreeing to do this discussion. Um, I just want to briefly let you know what's going to be happening today. So what we will do is actually I'm going to play about a five-minute excerpt of She He, which is the work um, that's in the Awakenings exhibition, after which Amanda will briefly talk about that particular work and then we'll go into a discussion about Amanda's broader artistic practice. Um, and actually, Amanda's actually brought along a lot of archival material that she dug up, which I hadn't even seen like most of it. So I think you guys will find it really interesting because a lot of the events um, that she will be talking about is very, very unknown, I think, for a lot of us who are even researching contemporary art in Singapore. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and play the video. I'll play about five minutes of it.
So that was um, Shinki performed at the National Institute of Education in 95. Um, so Amanda, would you like to just briefly tell the audience about that particular performance? Hi. Hi everyone. Good morning. Mm -hmm. Thank you for coming. Uh, um, yeah, uh, Shinki um, is a very um, important, uh, or I would say, one of the one of the most um, perfectly structured work or complete work that I 
performance work that I uh, presented, and that was in 1993. Before that, of course, I did a lot of uh, experimental work, more like trying out that kind of things. Yeah. Um, it, it was also one of the important work because it actually deals with the very urgent issues for me at that time, the point of time, uh, which is in the early 90s, when, um, when I, uh, just to give you a little bit the context of this work and uh, also my uh, relations to art scene, how did I come about, you know, uh, into this uh, uh, field? Um, I was born after the war and then uh, went through a weakness uh, experience um, after the war and then the country fought for independence. And after independence, the, um, you know, crazy pursuit for economic um, establishments and things like that. So I went through all these things and, uh, of course, there were um, a very dis a very drastic change uh, within 30 years from a really um, uh, um, kind of whatever that we have when, um, say, in terms of my families, when we get, when, when my parents and grand great-grandparents came from China and, uh, you know, just starting to establish themselves. And then all of a sudden, the walk destruction and then now all this happening. Um, a lot of things were changes quite uh, drastically, yeah. So, so it was those kind of period, and um, there was one particular uh, important uh, policies that uh, I thought was uh, really uh, important for me, and that that was the language uh, issues. When the country was starting to establish itself, um, uh, you know, having. Uh, kind of won over from the uh, imperialism, the, the British, uh, you know, colony, um, there was this need, uh, so-called, uh, to deal with this multi, or, or with the vision for creating a multicultural society. And uh, all the ethnic um, culture and language were uh, put down as, or placed as second uh, rate. And uh, highlighting the English speaking, the English language as a common language for all the different uh, races. And um, I was actually educated in the Chinese schools uh, run by, uh, you know, private Chinese, uh, set up by Chinese businessmen. And um, I was taught to be proud of my tradition, the Chinese culture. There's this strong cultural link still with uh, something happening in China and things like that. And um, it was really a, a shock. Uh, the moment I graduated from uh, my school, pre-university, and uh, got into societies and start working, I found that whatever I learned from school were, became uh, irrelevant. And uh, I see, uh, then you see a school start to close down, Chinese schools got closed down, of course, with Malays and Tamil school as well. Um, so the ideas of how to actually, where to go, where to belong, and how do, you, how do you make yourself useful and make contributions to these societies that uh, you know, one should think of as a young person. Um, those kinds of displacement, those kinds of helplessness was the urgent issue, the crisis that I need to um, look into. And that was how this work comes about. Of course, um, in between, we were also in the process of becoming modern. 
So this process of modernization. And then uh, at home, uh, these ideas about um, how uh, a woman should be treated in a, in a Chinese tradition. So all these become uh, very important issues in relating to my search or my quest to understand what do we mean when we talk about identity. Yeah. So, uh, so in this work just now, you were looking at, um, you know, I was writing, trying to make this language, you know, on my face. So they were actually deconstructing the English alphabets and also the Chinese uh, writing. Yeah, so they were very ba basic lines and drawings and all that. And then um, trying to, it, it is an attempt to kind of uh, create a new language perhaps. Yeah, um, I was looking for new possibilities um, but a, for a new language where I can uh, then claim my soul language, you know. So I think I found that in art with this piece. So it was a very important uh, experience for me because with this work, I learned to um, how to, uh, through the art making, um, process this um, thought, this um, uh, inquiries, and uh, finding my own answer and gaining um, my, my confidence through this whole uh, experience. And uh, the, the most important thing is that it, it is an attempt to negotiate space in those kind of situation. And also, um, it was for the first time, uh, I was able to actually define for myself what it is to be a woman. Yeah. So that was uh, the importance of this piece. Can you also speak a bit about, so we saw in the video, the act of you making the, the ball of flour and uh, eating yes. it and regurgitating it. Yes, yes. Uh, the work actually comes with, as I say, it was more complex and con uh, structured work because the, there were a lot of consideration. Obviously, you see a lot of theatre influence as well. Um, for example, in terms of costume, makeup, uh, lighting, uh, sounds, and so on. Um, there were a dressing table as a prop. And on top of the dressing table, there were flour and with water. Um, so in the midst, um, well, you saw... I was putting, uh, you know, making a dough and then putting in my mouth, trying to mold something. Unfortunately, it didn't quite work just now. <laughs> it was uh, too, too much water, too little flour. And then I forgot that I have actually denture in my mouth. <laughs> so anyway, that was an attempt to bring it out and then place it on the, um, place it uh, in front of the altar. This altar represents the Chinese tradition. Yeah. So what I wanted to say, uh, uh, as you goes on with the performance, then I picked up the dough and then I throw it with with force outside into the audience. So a, a kind of visual gesture to to uh, reject it. Um, you know that this these traditions of um, me being imposed on uh, uh, as as a subdivision uh, women uh, in the traditions. Yeah. So this is just part of uh, the whole performance. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I mean, even today, you're, you were introduced as a socially engaged artist and a lot of your works are kind of framed within the idea of politics, activism and so on. So I thought maybe we can talk a little bit about um, what your idea of activist art is or what your idea of political art is, particularly given the fact that um, your, your work's being included in the Awakenings exhibition at the moment. Yeah. 
maybe we could go on to the next. Um, with these ideas, uh, or, or rather problematic uh, relations between the politics and art, especially within the context of uh, Singapore, yeah, um, I I found uh, this friends uh, this quote from Francis Ellis for one of his work was actually very apt for that. Yeah, um, I think uh, when we talk about political arts in uh, today um, or in contemporary world, in fact, every artist engages with politics. Yeah, uh, whether we like it or not, um, uh, artists are often uh, responding to uh, the environment, to changes. And uh, this is the basic thing that we require of, of the artist if you want to express your true sense. Um, yeah. And uh, of course, it became problematic talking about that in Singapore in those days, in the 50s, 60s, where, um, you know, uh, political situations was uh, really, it was the Cold War time, uh, uh, communist uh, ideology in China uh, were coming up. So it was a situation where, uh, and Singapore is seen as the third Chinese country, something like, yeah. So it was, um, uh, there was all these stigma, yeah. And uh, political arts of that, of those days, uh, were equivalents to propaganda art and those kind of things. Yeah, but the, the kind of political, uh, I mean, how contemporary artists engages with political issue or situation in today's world is uh, a lot more than that. It, 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 uh, it is artists who address those changes and that affect uh, the humankind. And if art is not talking about those very important issues, then I don't know what is art. So we must engage politically. We must engage with politics. Yeah. So I think it is the problem with the way we look at the term taking out in different contexts. Yeah. And uh, uh, I hope it should not be a problem. Yeah. Um, I wanted to show you these two slides because they were very important uh, reference for me. Um, of course, with uh, Gandhi's uh, salt war or much, um, um, this is more common language uh, that everyone knows about. Uh, but I thought it was a really, really uh, poetic. It actually started a non-violence movement, uh, you know, and it's been kind of used very often today where we saw what's happening in Yangon uh, and so many other countries. Yeah. Um, I thought he was a real contemporary artist because of this act, he changed the whole life of the country and, and the population, uh, the Indian population. Yeah. Um, with Professor Yunus, um, who I only came to know rather late. Um, yeah, but he got the, he was offered this uh, um, Nobel Prize, uh, Peace Prize, because he came up with a uh, new, um, uh, what do you call that, uh, micro-credit, yeah. But it, what happens for, with uh, Professor Yunus, the story uh, goes that he was trained in the States and became an economist, yeah, and came back to Bangladesh thinking that he could do a lot for the country, such a poor, in such a poor state, you know. But then he realized soon, that what he acquired from uh, the states cannot be used in Bangladesh because people are just too poor to 
tax guarantee for the bank when, when you need money to do whatever you need. Yeah. So he came up with this macro credit, which give a little bit little amount of money to help with the, uh, the poor and then, uh, you know, allow them to uh, establish themselves economically. So the point of even you are the very poor person, you can still help yourself with little help from other people. Yeah. So this now become uh, very worldwide, um, you know, use. And actually, uh, Professor Yunus was invited to Singapore a few times, and I attended a lecture some time ago. Um, but he was his ideas are never used in Singapore. Maybe we don't have any poor people in Singapore. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was very impressed with him because um, he was particularly helpful to the women. He noticed that when you give a little bit of money to the women, they were put to use for, to set up the family, to set up business, so that they could be economically independent and then take, put foot on table and take care of the education of the children. As if you put the money on the, to the husband, they go gambling or having a drink. Yeah, so there, there's a big difference. And uh, this actually was very helpful for the Bangladesh women. Yeah. Um, the dinner party from Chicago, as well as uh, Joseph Boy's 7,000 Oak Trees, they were also both very important uh, role models that I, I learned from my uh, development. Uh, of course, Judith Chicago was a very well-known uh, kind of feminist artist and who has actually changed the whole traditions uh, in the education system in the United States. You know, how to create a kind of program that is that talks about um, you know, voices from women and how do we uh, change the whole ideas about the values that come from women. Yeah, so including her work, using craft that often make, uh, often, uh, you know, acquired by women and quietly uh, slotting away at home or in all those cottages businesses that were not recognized and not well paid, not paid enough. Uh, yeah, so this is a dinner party. And 7,000 oak trees impresses me. So, uh, it takes a long time for, for that to happen. Uh, Castles was really after the industrial changes and a date city and how to can, kind of renew the whole city. And, and Joseph Boyce was very uh, creative in that sense that it, that it offer the audience to take care of, uh, to, to sponsor one tree. And then, uh, you know, to have it planted in the city. So if you visit Castle today, you still see the art growing along the street. Yeah. So that taught me this kind of art is not actually made for museums to decorate or to decorate home. But it is actually addressing our life, make changes to make our life better. And this is how... Uh, it established the kind of uh, uh, principles for me to develop my practice. Yeah. Thanks, Amanda. Um, so now that we've kind of heard a bit about, I think, your wider influences in your art practice, um, I just want to turn the discussion to what was happening in Singapore um, and particularly uh, a discussion about the artist village because the artist village has almost taken on a quite disproportionate uh, prominence in Singapore art history. We're always talking about the artist village in the kind of change uh, turn towards the con to con contemporary art. 
Um, and perhaps you could talk a little bit about whether the artist village did make that significant um, a contribution to your personal practice, or perhaps that there were wider influences um, around the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, yeah, before we get into talking about Artist Village, I wanted to show you this, uh, the first women's show in Singapore. Four women student artists um, just graduated from La Salle. Uh, it, this was 1988. And it was a show that's curated by a fellow student, Wang Go Wei. And he actually was working in these bookshops in the Bras Basa complex. And he found out that there's this display, window display space, which not used. So he suggested that we got together and put up a show. And that was the first women's show, yeah, in 1988. Who, um, who were the artists? You the artists were uh, Pauline, Pauline Go and Mary, Mary Ong, and also Chong Wei Yu. Uh, I think they all no longer dealing with art now. Yeah, the soul survival. <laughs> yeah. So um, then I would like to also go on to, um, you know, those days. Um, the, the, the ideas of coming into art, it was frightening. But I didn't know what to do. It was, for me, it was a deliberate choice. And I knew that I have to figure out some way for me. So uh, after La Salle, what next, you know? So we got together with some students and then start to look for studio space and uh, things like that. So what you're seeing here is actually a studio space in Salita, which I uh, shared with Han Saipo and Vincent Liao. And uh, later on, we found out that there were actually many different groups of people sharing studios there as well. For example, uh, April Ng, who is the printmaker then, uh, sharing with his partner, her partner, uh, in another uh, house not long, not far away from us. And then there's also Chang Jing-in, who are uh, also sharing with some other people. At, uh, these were students from NAFA. Yeah. Also, uh, our, our studio space here, uh, in, during the weekdays, there were studios where we work. But during weekend, there were private parties going on like this. Yeah. So this was uh, one of the party, and we have team for the party usually. So this night it was a punk party, and uh, our invited guests were all uh, enjoying ourselves as punk. <laughs> yeah. So these were we call that unofficial uh, collectives. So uh, you know they kind of form just quite naturally and in a very organic forms. You know, yeah, and. Um, now what you see is the beginning of uh, the Artist Village. It was still unofficial because the Artist Village was only officially registered in 1994 or 93. I think it's 94. Yeah. So uh, this was in the 80s, late 80s. And uh, basically it was uh, Tang Dao's home. And uh, because it was a uh, in a village where most of the people were vacated for uh, military training. Uh, the land was offered for military training. And um, there's a small group of uh, farmers who refused to move away, so take the opportunity to rent out the empty space. So 
Dao got hold of some of the space and then we turned them into studio space. And this was quite a um, surprising move for Singapore at that time because there was no such thing happening in Singapore before. Although there were uh, already a lot of all these uh, artist groups, uh, art associations that's going on, there were hundreds of them. Uh, but I think uh, probably the Artist Village is quite different in a way that uh, it, it is the artist initiative um, and uh, it is open to the public very often with open studios and all kinds of activities, um, uh, sharing the process of making art. So as opposed to your individual artist, you lock yourself in the studio, the public only come in contact with the artwork when it is nicely completed and framed in the gallery. Yeah, so this is, I think, very big difference. And for us students who just graduated, it is a really great platform to get together, uh, support each other and continue our practice. Yeah. Yeah, so remember when you were talking about this earlier, you were stressing the importance of the self-help spirit during um, this yeah. time. So maybe can talk a bit about how how these informal collectives kind of encourage that kind of uh, kind of help between fellow artists. Mm. Um, the, 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 the kind of self-help uh, spirit actually always in us as human beings. Yeah. When you're in front of crisis, your life is threatened. Definitely you help yourself, you know. You find ways and means to figure out a way. Yeah. And I think um, it's just kind of, uh, yeah. But in the 50s, 60s, was most Singaporeans have, have those kind of fighting spirit because the, the situation called for it, you know. Yeah. Also in the 90s, everybody, everything is already planned for us. Um, and then it's these small groups of artists who realize that other than the plan, we want to find an alternative way of living. So uh, it, it is another form of survival. So it comes up with, uh, you, you, you kind of draw those resources uh, within you and uh, begin to help yourself. Um, this is really important because it, it's, uh, especially in the situations where everything is taken over for you and decided for you, uh, there's a chance that it, you turn yourself into a robot yeah, or economic animal, which being a human being, I think there's more than that. Meaning of life is more than that. Um, and to find out, we have to take our own initiative. I think this is showing in that group of uh, uh, artists and who is looking for something else. Yeah. So um, this is Hongbi Warehouse. Uh, I wanted to show this because uh, in terms this this today's slide, today's talks, um, it was actually discussing all these uh, important elements of uh, the practice and also how they actually shape my. Uh, practice and development. Um, uh, they they are they are important because um, I wanted to, from my perspective, I wanted to discuss why they are important as collective or self help spirits and all that. How this element adds to my practice and also helps shape uh, the kind of principles in my in my work. Yeah, um, Hongbi Warehouse was. Uh, abandoned warehouse for more than 10 years and it was offered to uh, uh, the artist village as a group to be part of the fringe event 
at the the only visual art event at the uh, Festival of Art. Yeah, um, we were really excited with this space because it's such a huge space, um, you know. And uh, in those days, as a young artist, you would never get a chance to get into the institution. Yeah, so having creating your own space. Uh, you know, is is the thing that you must do, and we were we. It took us about um, you know three months to change, transform that space, and turn it into a uh, international space for exhibitions. And uh, the exhibitions invited about fifty artists, fifty works, and they includes international artists as well. Shall I? Do I have to go on with this? Oh, no. Yeah. I, I think we'll... so, so now we come over to um, my some of the small uh, groups, activities or collectives. And um, this tends to work with more women artists. Um, I think it is a coincidence as well as also a natural development, I think. Yeah. Because in the artist village, it was rather lonely as a only female members there. Besides, of course, Hazel, who was um, Pang Dao's ex-wife, and uh, So Siu Kiet has eventually kind of disappeared from the art scene. So I was the only women members over there. So it's rather rather uh, lonely. And of course, I sought other women artists to work together. That was a natural process. So this was the early days. Ho uh, Sun Yin, Tan Kun and the late uh, Juliana Yasim, uh, we used to meet together. I remember it was Kuo uh, Pao Kun's studios practice, theater practice uh, at Stamford Road, and they occupy a space. But their corridor was always empty. So Kuo Pao Kun was very kind to say that you guys can use the corridors when you need space to do your work. Know that so we gathered there and do drawing or just chit chat, share uh, you know issues about art and things like that. So another space that we another place that we always go is this YMCA, uh, McDonald's at YMCA, where they cater to a lot of students. The students are gathered there and then stay the whole day with one coffee. Yeah, so that's what we did too. And uh, there were lots of things that we talked about uh, art practices. Uh, about situation for women artists and so on. Yeah. So we also performed together. Uh, you know, we were really hungry for knowledge uh, and how to uh, develop, uh, uh, you know, our art practice. And um, what you see now is some of the performances that we did together and some were more uh, individual. So we perform as a group as well as uh, exhibit as individual artists. Yeah, so this uh, kind of from my own archive is what I have. Yeah, uh, what you see here, um, uh, a weekend performance event at at the space Hongbi Warehouse. Yeah, and then with this one was the National Sculpture Show at the formal National History Art Gallery, National Museum Art Gallery, National Museum Art Gallery. Yeah, it was our first sculpture show, and performance art was included for the first time. So um, I think now it's a good time to move our discussion to like this idea of um, women and, and their artworks in Singapore. And while I was researching for this particular discussion, I actually found quite a few 
exhibitions that happened in Singapore in the early 90s that were actually not very well researched at all. So Amanda has already briefly talked about um, Words and Works, which was in 88 in Brass Bassa. In 91, NMAG hosted an exhibition called Women and Their Art. Um, in 92, there were two exhibitions at the substation um, where Amanda was actually working as a programmer at that time. So I think one of the things you want to talk about is um, her role, not just as an artist, but as an organizer as well. And um, these two exhibitions were We Kiss Next Tuesday, which featured Dominic Hui and Sun Yin, as well as A Frame of Mind, which um, featured Juliana Yasin and Chen Kun Yi. Um, and then in 98, you collaborated with the Singapore International Film Festival. And this is the event that I actually hadn't even uh, come across until I did um, the research for this talk. And there was a program within the film festival called Women About Women, which showed at the Singapore Art Museum. And it featured seven local artists and 13 international artists. So, you know, there's, I guess... It wasn't a lot of events, but there were these uh, quite key events and exhibitions that were happening through the 90s. So I think it would be really interesting if you could just share more about these um, events, which haven't been documented in any article or book. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so to, um, I suppose this is the result. Uh, this was in 1991. Uh, it actually initiated by, by uh, myself and also uh, another artist, uh, Catherine Aoyong. Catherine Aoyong is an art teacher and uh, a major in abstractions. So she was making the very different kind of art from me. But we somewhat uh, get along very well and then started to think about having platforms for women alone. And then also at the same time, take the opportunity, opportunity to find out who are other women practicing in Singapore. So this was uh, the result of that. And it, it was the called Women and Their Art. It was actually the two artists initiative, but we got eventually the support of the uh, National uh, Museum Art Gallery. And uh, the curators are very kind to offer a writing for our uh, brochures. Yeah. So um, it was also uh, for the first time. Uh, women's artists, I think it's about uh, maybe seven or eight of us got together and we were all from very different art field. Um, yeah, and decided to, uh, the team was really uh, quite open for when we suggested to them. So um, in any case, those days, the ideas of curating was not there, but just that we wanted a platform for all of us to get together and show what we have done. Yeah, so this is this is the result of that. But then over the weekend, there were always uh, discussions going on. Yeah. And I remember at a point of time, I had a chance to make a trip to London and also visited the London's archive uh, run by the women, for the women artists. So I got home, I met up with some five women artists in London at the time and then brought some of their work and then shared at the... Uh, uh, weekend's uh, discussion. So this was what um, uh, the discussion that just now when you see it, um, with uh, Philip Chia and Pauline uh, Po as a moderator for the discussion. Yeah, so eventually um, the women's groups uh, were, were then became uh, international. Um, but this was also partly because of the performance art uh, thing. 
Yeah. Uh, I guess everyone knows that in 
So the talk was also not confined to just women alone. And of course, we also involved the international women artists who come by or who happen to station in Singapore. Uh, there were also talks by male artists or art writers or teachers. Yeah. So what you see here, like Ching Ju was the art teacher uh, in uh, or history uh, scholar in uh, school. And we have also Han Hong here, who uh, Han Yong Hong here, who was working as the art reporters uh, in the Chao Bao. Yeah. So um, we thus did decide not to confine our discussion within just the women's group as well as the art communities. It has to involve uh, wider circles of people. Yeah. And um, eventually, um, besides the talk, uh, we started to then have collaboration with other uh, collectives like Perfect Space or uh, P10. So what you see here, Exchange 05, was a collaborative event um, conceptualized and organized by WITAS and P10. Um, the ideas was to look into um, the kind of uh, interdisciplinary uh, collaborations that was happening at that time a lot. Yeah. And um, so the artists that we invited or speakers we invited were uh, involving theater, uh, people from theater practice, people from dance, uh, people who were scientists, and uh, also people who were writers and so on. Yeah. So, um, so this whole thing were then uh, organized by a working team which um, involved uh, members of the P10s as well as uh, WITAS at the time. So some of the important members in WITAS includes uh, Margaret Tan, who is now uh, um, a doctor um, practicing as well as uh, lecturing in NUS. Um, Shirley Shou, who is now a practicing artist. Um, uh, Sui Fang, Yosu Fang, who is now working uh, you know, in taking care of the education programs in NGS. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So all of a sudden, we come to here now to uh, the international event, uh, international film event, a collaboration with uh, Philip Chas, who hate the event at the moment. And uh, uh, Philip Chia and I was very um, good friends. Uh, I started working with the substation. And uh, substation was often the important venues for uh, international film festivals. Yeah, so that's how the collaboration came about. And we got the support of the SAM and uh, that offered this auditorium there and allowed us to present this uh, women's show. Uh, we only want to kind of really uh, look into the psyches of uh, modern women and how do they deal with the new technology of that time. Yeah, so... Um, there is a kind of areas of uh, selections where we only invite women artists to involved in performance work, video, and film. Yeah, so we include some very important uh, women artists from Japan, like uh, Mako Zidemichi, who was the first women artist involved in film and video, uh, and of course uh, uh, Shirley Silver from the USA, who was actually very active part of film festival uh, in Singapore. Um, then eventually, uh, the, the women's circle internationally got wider. 
from Tokyo news went to Osaka. Then they decided to uh, organize an uh, event as well. And in, in this case, it was a Tachikawa film uh, uh, art festival. Um, this year, it was hated by a, a female curator, uh, Emiko. Then Emiko decided that uh, let's have a women's perspective for this festival. So uh, all women artists were invited from all over the place. Uh, we were given a month of residency and then we come out with the work. Yeah. So this was my presentation at the uh, festival. There were uh, portraits by women. And uh, I, I had this residency for one month and I started to interview. It was part of the continuation from uh, the collaboration with my mother. Because I, I have the response from many people regarding this relationship between mother and daughter. So I thought it would be interesting to uh, carry out uh, that, um, you know, experiment or that uh, figure out those experience in another cultural context of Japan. Yeah. So I started to work with them. And before that, of course, I had a chance to have residency in Germany. I did the same thing. So this was actually accumulated. Uh, yeah. So today, today we have about uh, uh, 50 portraits from women. Yeah. So women shared their stories about their relationship with their mother or daughter. And then they took, I, I make that portrait for them. And then they put up their statements on the portrait by themselves. Yeah. So in this case, it happens in uh, Suzhou in 2013. That was the, the most recent one. Yeah. So in Osaka, uh, you know, women um, begin to get together and organize an uh, event for ourselves. And I got invited quite a few to, to Japan. Yeah. This is one of them. Um, as I was telling, uh, uh, I, was, I was talking about the substation earlier and, and we were discussing in terms of art collectives. Uh, in the early days, substation was a very important space uh, in relating to or in terms of developments of contemporary art. Yeah. Um, it started in the 90s and was uh, uh, run by... Uh, Initiated, of course, founded by the late Guo Baokun, who was a dramatist. And uh, um, so eventually, all, most of the project that I had was sponsored or supported by the substation. Uh, the, motive, the, the aim or objective of the substation right from the, the beginning was to cater to local artists and developing a kind of more a deeper and more vigorous kind of articulation or discourse in Singapore art or about Singapore art. Yeah. So uh, we had a chance then to get a lot of support whenever we offer um, some event. And in this case, what you're looking at is Open Ends, which is the first time uh, artists got together uh, to, again, they were all artist initiative. Um, I approached um, the directors of the substation then, who were Audrey Wong and Lee Wing Choi, um, to present the exhibitions of the documentation of 10 years of performance art, starting from 85 to 95. Yeah. Uh, what troubled me at that time was that because of uh, Joseph Ng's incidents, 
um, the whole societies talk about performance art or so associate performance art with politic, with politic, with uh, Tang Lao Wu or Joseph Um, and ignoring the fact that there were actually many, many performance work going on already. Yeah, so I started to gather all those archives from all the artists and uh, put up uh, with randoms or photos, we put up an exhibition. So it was the first exhibitions of documentation in Singapore here at the substation. There were also a catalog of uh, 25 pieces, limit editions uh, produced with, uh, uh, together with um, interview by some artists about performance work. Yeah. Um, again, talking about uh, artist initiative and women artists for that matter, actually does put in a lot of effort. With this case, it was a, a show by, uh, uh, apologize for this, uh, the, the, blackout here. We don't know what is going on. <laughs> Someone couldn't get it right. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, an exhibition called Real uh, Work. And it was the initiative. Sorry? The Housework Project. Sorry. Sorry. The Housework Project. I got it mistaken from another, another event that I had in uh, Germany. This is Housework Project. Yeah. Housework Project came about in response to um, the domestic help uh, and the, the very uh, uh, difficult issues of that time where a lot of uh, domestic help were being treated. Yeah, so we wanted to look into those, those issues. Um, so we started with survey, uh, bringing out questions and ask, interviewing people and then uh, use that as our reference to create, uh, you know. And this is through an open call. People can respond to this theme from their perspective, and then uh, interpret in their own, and then present the work. Yeah. So uh, again, so this is a women initiative. Uh, and here I'm showing you is uh, another collaboration between myself and two other artists, uh, Ching Choling and her husband from Poland, uh, Vincent. Yeah. So what we came up with was this home service. Yeah. We make ourselves the domestic help and go out to 20 homes to offer our cleaning service in uh, on the conditions that they will sit down with us and discuss all these whole issues. I, we were more interested in um, figuring out how introducing this uh, domestic help from foreign country uh, of a different cultural background, how does that affect and change our family values? So we were more interested in those things. And of course, coupled with so many other issues as well. Yeah. So Amanda, just a quick break, because I just wanted to ask you a little question, which was all, with all these events happening in Singapore around women artists, what was the response of the male artists? Of the male artists? Yeah, I mean, from TAV and after TAV. Uh, uh, from TAV to after TAV. Yeah, because you had yeah. some events during the TAV days and then yeah. the substation events, Vitas and all. Yeah, I remember uh, in the TAV days when I first did the Women and Their Arts in 1991, I had an immediate response from a male members in the TAV. Why all women only? But then the fact that there were a lot of shows that shows only, that present only male artists, no one asked questions about that. 
yeah, of course I ignore him. Yeah. So that, that was the response, and it was the immediate response. But then when the show was put up, I got really, really exciting response from a lot of male public who were very appreciative of a very fresh perspective from women artists. Yeah, so that was very great different. Um, when you come down to then uh, this event, for example, the, the housework project, a lot of male artists actually volunteered themselves and participated. People like uh, Jason Wee, people like uh, Jill Maso, and uh, there are many, many of them who volunteer themselves to be part of this toll show. Yeah. And of course, women's partner were involved, very much involved in this because uh, some of them has to do housework as well. Yeah. Um, I want to go on to show some of the, um, uh, this project from now on was more relating to how my practice has changed. And we, uh, before that, we talked so much about gender-based um, uh, approach or practice. Um, at some point, my work eventually uh, become broader and um, or, or gen gender still an important issues, but uh, it's in relating to a bigger contact now. Yeah. So with this piece, it was about, uh, it was the inaugural, inaugural shows of uh, the Esplanade in 2002. This huge art venue, art uh, showpiece uh, is going to happen here. And I'm curious, I was curious to know how the common Singaporean feel about it. Yeah, so I went out all over the Singapore to interview people and ask them about, you know, what do you think? You know, we're having this uh, huge thing, Durian, you know, um, you know, what has that got to do with you? So I gathered all this text, all this interview, and then I took their portrait and decided to put them at these uh, eight pillars at the concourse. So they are called pillars of the art. So when the show opened, a lot of them who has nothing to do with art actually came and looked for their portrait. <laughs> so that was quite fun. Um, so the idea of um, engaging the public um, through this engagement uh, with the public, people I, often people I don't know, often people who have never think they have anything to do with art um, got involved in the art. Yeah, so that come to me that they were very important because art should not be just um, confined to the appreciations of uh, people who were able, who, who could afford. Um, in fact, art is always around us in our life. And how can we discover, how can we rediscover that in our life and in us? Yeah, so that become another uh, important uh, uh, principles of my practice. Yeah. So this continue to become more and more engaging uh, uh, the public and also questioning the role of the audience in the art making and also, of course, the meaning of the art and uh, the role of the art in societies and how can I uh, talk about art uh, in a way that any other people in general public can relate to easily. So this uh, work is Wordy Tour. Wordy Tour uh, engages with some specific um, audience 
who were actually individual collectors. They were individual collectors out of their own very personal interest, collected some of very important artifacts over many years, and they are at their old age now and uh, decided that they have to make a decision to find some institution to take over the collection. Otherwise, they can't continue with it. Yeah, because they were important artifacts. Yeah, unfortunately, the institution here didn't see the treasure. So they went overseas, uh, different places in China, uh, Hong Kong, uh, Malaysia, all over the place. So in my research, I traces this route and interview the people and institution overseas who took them. Yeah. And they involved, uh, for example, a film archive, the uh, Chinese art of Tang Song, um, very important artifacts that one curator, uh, an individual curator, uh, collectors collected, um, you know, that represent activities, businesses of Singapore River. And uh, also a self-taught artist who discovered bonsai out of Suixian, which is a tropical plant. Yeah. And it, it ended up in uh, Shanghai Botanic Garden because they didn't have a tropical uh, bonsai. And they were very curious how, uh, you know, whether this tropical plant can happen in Shanghai. So they created a kind of laboratory and this collector became the lecturer there and they also organized, um, you know, exhibition for him. So he's now, they have established a, a museum there. He's now one of the museum, uh, uh, you know, recorded in the museum with all his work and his uh, life uh, achievement. Yeah. So this is the Wadi tour um, and it was presented at the first uh, inaugural Binale and um, on in, in this building. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's sort of let's check was presented here. I wanted to show you and, and uh, um, say again that they were very important work for me because uh, you will see the change in terms of my approach to performance work. The earlier work that you saw were very theatrical. Uh, uh, the the obviously theater productions, uh, you know, resources that I I were influenced and uh, make reference from. Us with let's walk and let's check. I realized that, uh, uh, especially with let's walk, um, it happens at the time when I was given the studios and then will have to sign an agreement because of the Joseph N incident that I would not do performance in my own studio. Yeah, so I decided that, okay, if I can't do my performance in the studio, then let me bring my, bring my performance out into the street. And that's how Let's Walk or Walk with the Stool and all the walk series came about. Yeah, then I found out that uh, actually it was very interesting to turn the whole city, your canvas, your working space. Yeah, so, uh, and then you have ready audience and the audience were curious to know about your work. Yeah. So that was all the benefits I got, um, you know, from this discovery. Yeah. And uh, of course, Let's Check actually developed from mom's uh, collaboration um, because, um, you know, do, sitting together, family members sitting together and uh, pluck the roots of the uh, bean sprouts was a common practice at home common activities at home. And it is all this at this time where 
we gossip, we share jokes, or we make complaints to each other, where family members actually communicate with each other. Yeah. But today, I look at the younger kids, the kind of family life. You can be in the MRT. It's a common sight. Everyone has their own screen. We are going outing, family outing, but everyone is occupied on this, on this screen. Yeah. So, obviously, the idea of uh, communication or family relation is all different now. Yeah. So, this work try to talk about that. And I have these two work um, become open uh, ends work. It, it just go on and on and on. And they can happen anywhere. And each time I bring it to another cultural context, there will always a very, very quick response from people who has the similar kind of uh, uh, complaints or experience. Yeah, the, the kind of uh, life has become so isolated in modern world. And uh, we come up with all these um, uh, convenience gadgets uh, thanks to the advanced technology. But then on the other hand, um, we have actually been taken or we paid a lot for that. Uh, and if we are not careful with that, then um, what is what is it to be a human being in this world now? Yeah. So this is the final slide, and I just suddenly realized that it was very appropriate because of all the national day <laughs> rehearsals happening right around time. us. <laughs> um, so I'll let Amanda talk about it, but it was actually came up quite a few years ago in response to wanting to show it at national day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Single was an ongoing project and it, it is uh, been exhibited in many forms. So it could be in photographs, it could be in installation work or a performance. It's basically a performance for me. Um, it's a persona. Uh, I'm a Singapore girl, of course, but and instead of calling myself Singapore girl, I'm not allowed to. Yeah, I call myself a single. But of course, this is a pun. You know, single, single. Single is in Singapore is not the right thing, huh? not politically correct because, uh, you know, you don't get married and then you can't produce enough baby for the national service. Yeah. And so this is, uh, yeah, but this single wants to do many other things. Just want to have fun. Just don't want to be programmed. Yeah. So single started. Single start to kind of, of course, the research into Singapore girl, uh, my, my issues with how Singapore girl is being constructed as a national image, you know, for this newly independent uh, country. And um, to pretend women as an object, a desirable object, catering to, you know, all these uh, male gays. Yeah, so that's problematic. And then it associates with this national identity that's even more problematic. Yeah, so I wanted to deal with all those things. And uh, with this case, the single become an online project. Uh, I had this print done at the invitations of the Taylor print to make a print. Uh, it's a celebration of 50 years Asia societies uh, in New York. And uh, I make my contribution with this, with this print. So they, they invited me, obviously didn't realize that it, you know, expecting me to make a print, but I ended up making performance there, you know, showing all this thing, working with a technician. So then it came out with this uh, print using some uh, motif of the um, SI Ghost um, costume. 
Yeah. And then uh, with my own bottom. Yeah. Um, then eventually I decided that I have to engage the wider women. Uh, everyone can be Singapore girl, can be single, you know, if you like. Yeah. All you need to do is contribute a picture of your bare bottom. Then I realized that a lot of us, we didn't know how our bottom looked like. So the first time I saw my bottom. Yeah. So it must be quite exciting for all other women as well, including a male too. And I have some male who pretend to be women. I have accepted them too. Yeah. So you hear, you, if you can tell, make a guess. But this is just part of it. Huh? Now I have 200 of that uh, bottom and single. But you also wanted, I remember, to do like uh, get a contingent of the participants to be part of the National Day Parade. Yes, yes. <laughs> the original idea, original idea, because in National Parade, we used to have this contingent by the Singapore girl. They were really pity and then uh, making a parade there. I want to make a single contingency with enough uh, participants and then marching there. Yeah. Unfortunately, it didn't materialize. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you, Amanda. So, um, we... Okay, I've been informed we have five minutes. So, I'm not going to ask any questions because I'm sure there'll be questions from the audience. Um, so, there's a mic floating around and uh, we can probably take a few questions before we have to leave this place because of the National Day. <laughs> so, <laughs> any questions? Chaitek, how does it feel? Uh, how does it feel <laughs> seeing your young pictures in in the she <laughs> documentation? Chaitek is now a famous artist, and uh, we spotted him in my uh, in a documentation of she just now. <laughs> share, share. Uh, maybe you can contribute some idea about she when you were looking at them. Really, no, no idea at all. Yes. <laughs> I no idea what, what I was doing, right? No, I, I also have not many memory about... I guess I'm busy with other things in my mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, okay. If there really is no questions, I guess I can ask a question. And it was one of the things that I was thinking about when you presented. Because the, all the works you show from like the 80s until today... Um, and in that time, you've been so active, uh, not just in art making, but as an organizer. And I was wondering, do you feel as urgent a need now? Like, has anything really changed from, you know, the early 90s when you were trying to make these exhibitions of women, women's artists' works? Yeah, I, um, I think when you first started, of course, the early days as a young artist, uh, you know, um, you were not having a lot of opportunities. But thanks to Joseph Ng's uh, case and the band of uh, funding, I became international. Yeah, then I got a lot more uh, opportunities. And as you were exposed to outside world, you begin to realize that you can actually do a lot of things. So the more I uh, get involved in... Um, so I, as a result, of that then artists take the multiple roles. You are the organizer, you create the work, you also a director, you organize your participants, you collaborate with some other people, uh, you know, not only just the art field, but also engages with other people who has very different kind of expertise. So this pooling of resources and bringing, um, you know, all kinds of things together and working together to materialize certain ideas was very exciting for me. And um, of course, 
in Singapore, then you realize also that uh, you can never, uh, you can never practice uh, as a real full time artist. You have to somehow or rather find other job. You can be freelance, uh, you know, graphic designer. Uh, most of the artists here become part-time teacher, part-time lecturers in school. So I get a chance to teach in many different institutions. And those were um, really great opportunity to um, be connected with younger generation of practitioner and also art students who prepare themselves to uh, engage with art. Uh, yeah. So, so it become a, a very bigger, much bigger community. Um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, the other thing that was very striking with the presentation is how many women artists are no longer practicing. Um, and I'm just wondering, do you think it's this this problem, like you can't be a full-time artist in Singapore, you have to find something else, or are, is it because of family? Is it like why? Because some of them are married to male artists and the male artists' careers have continued, but mm. their wives have stopped practicing. Yes. Um, I did uh, pick up this to this this particular issue, which is very important for uh, in in relating to developments of women artists' career. Um, yes, uh, I have invited quite many women artists who married artist husband, and uh, yeah, so it it that is the reality. Uh, you know, this traditional role continue even. Women worked today and became economically independent. But the deep down uh, role, traditional role, still there. No change. Yeah. Um, so in the end, most of the time, women artists have to give way by taking a stable job, a salary job, so that the husband can continue practice. Yeah. Um, and then you continue to work to work full-time in a uh, salary job, you want to practice, but you also take care of your children. So this is the realities of the women artists today. Many, of course, uh, you know, when I first started Women in the Arts Archive, there were 70 women uh, contributed to portfolios. By that time in 2000, that was in 1999, by the time 2003, when we start to uh, put an online archive, there were only four women artists left. What happened to the rest, that half of them? They have to get married, set up their family, and decided they can't continue anymore. Yeah. So this is still a reality of the women artists today. Yeah. But I think um, part of this, uh, apart from these traditional roles and, uh, you know, um, very stubborn mindset that, that cannot change among, uh, you know, the male population. Um, it is also women themselves. There's no determinations to make a better life for themselves. But of course, there's this maternity, maternal uh, urge. You know, you feel guilty if you let go of your responsibilities. Yes? Ah, okay. Uh, um, you were asking about my mom's response to the work. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the collaboration with my mom lasted for two years. Yeah, but of course, you know, I worked consciously with her even before that. 
Yeah, because I knew that I have to address this issue. Uh, I wanted to uh, make connection with my mother because I uh, felt that I didn't have that kind of uh, strong relationship with her. Yeah, and I wanted to, um, at that point, take the opportunity to really understand her because of my interest in finding myself as well as dealing with the women issues and so on. Yeah, so I need to understand women, women of her generation, how do they uh, position themselves and so on. Yeah, so I started really consciously working with her way before this whole project become real. Uh, that continues for two two years. Yeah, um, I uh, it, of course it wasn't easy because we have also a language problem. She speaks only dialect, and my dialect was not very good. And uh, I can't even say dialect what is art. Yeah, so how to go about? So, which is part of the good reason that I got her involved in the art making. So it is through this process of making that I'm try to make her understand what I'm doing. Uh, of course, because I uh, gave up a salary job, you know, and uh, not getting married in my 30s, she was very worried, of course. And we couldn't speak for uh, quite a long period of time at home. Yeah, she was obviously very worried about me. How am I going to continue with my life without uh, money, without uh, finding a husband and things like that? Yeah, but I was desperately trying to figure out what, who am I, what am I doing here? How can I continue in a meaningful way for myself? Yeah, so I needed to have that connection with her. And I, dis I discovered that through the art making with her, I could then begin to kind of understand her. And then she could then begin to realize that what I'm doing is of, of some meaning to her. Yeah. So that's how we begin. And I don't know how to answer your question, but uh, there were a lot of little things. For example, that I remember uh, I wanted to bring all those photographs that we make together to uh, Bangkok. There was no money. In those days, there was no money. I couldn't afford to bring them myself. Um, so I was sharing with her about this. And of course, I have a brother and sisters living in Bangkok. And then she come up with this idea that let's go visit them. And she paid for my air tickets. So it's through this kind of little gesture uh, that I realized that she actually appreciate what I do. Yeah. Uh, I think she came to realize uh, or feel proud of me was from my neighbor. Because uh, eventually when the work was shown in Singapore, they came out in the paper. The, the neighbor were educated people. They read about it and then they, they brought the paper to show her. And she came to ask me about it. Yeah, so I, I get a sense that she began to be very proud of me when the neighbor tell her that I was popular. Yeah, like the like the movie star. You know? Thanks for the question. Um, and I think we actually have run out of time for this session today. Um, thank you all for coming. Thank you to Amanda for sharing. Thank you for your time. You have been listening to the Padang Sessions from National Gallery Singapore. Find more of our podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us for updates and new episodes every two weeks. To learn more about our programs at the gallery, visit nationalgallery.sg. Our podcast team is Erica Lai, Mariel Chi, Royan Ng, and Tamaris Goh from National Gallery Singapore. The music you heard is composed by Javon Chandra. 
I'm Joyce Chung. Thanks for listening. 